Welcome to the Spoken Gospel Podcast. Spoken Gospel is a nonprofit dedicated to the idea that every part of the Bible, Old Testament and New, is about Jesus. And this podcast is our experiment to publicly test that belief. Every episode, hosts David Bowden and Seth Stewart work through a biblical text to see how it helps us see and savor Jesus. Let's jump in. Well, welcome everyone to the Spoken Gospel Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. Seth, how are you this fine morning? I'm ready to tell you the story about how the Gibeonite deception is related to my first date. Oh. Do you remember this? No. In our introductory episode, I was going to talk about how Joshua chapter 9 and the Gibeonite deception played a role in my first date. Oh. And so now I get to tell. Did you, you, did you leave a cliffhanger? On? I did leave a cliffhanger. Oh, man. I'm... I'm a bad rememberer. Yeah, so I, uh, as it was, I think it was like my first winter, like formal or something like that. Okay. Like, um, is this in another country? It's in another country. It's in Scotland. <laughs> <laughs> did you not have winter formal? No, we here? did. We did. I just wanted to. Uh, I forget what it was called. I always want to make you feel it was like a an outsider. Kaylee, if you know what a Kaylee is, I do not know what that it's is. It's a Kaylee is a Scottish country dance. Okay, and so it's kind of like line dancing, except more like ballroomy. And like, if you've seen like um, some of the dances on like Pride and Prejudice or stuff like that, yeah, those are like those big group dances where like dozens of dozens oh, of people are doing it. Yes, so that's a Kaylee. Oh, uh, um, I always thought that was a High School Musical. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> in, in American, it's a High School oh, Musical. Okay, okay. <laughs> so anyway, we were doing it. It was a Kaylee, and I was like, I was wanted to ask this girl. Uh, and her name was Lauren. And Lauren. I was, and I was really nervous. Was she Scottish? She was Scottish. Yeah. She was redheaded. Uh, and she, I, and I asked her, and she said yes. And then I immediately felt crushing guilt. Why? Because um, I had unequally yoked myself with a non-believer. Oh my <laughs> goodness! <laughs> and my parents were not. <laughs> My parents were not pleased that I had asked a non-Christian girl to the dance. Okay, uh, hold on, hold on, <laughs> hold on. Because I'm, some of you might think I'm disproportionately responding with laughter. If you knew the younger Seth that I've been told stories of oh. from present day Seth from present about day the crushing guilt religious guilt oh, that yes. he grew up with oh yes this is just this another is... <laughs> brick in the beautiful story okay continue uh, so your parents I, weren't happy about your happy unequal about yoking but i was also like conflicted because like well i wasn't dating her it was just a dance and but also the gibeonite deception what well because they weren't supposed to make a covenant they weren't supposed to make a deal with this pagan nation okay but because they didn't ask the lord there's all these bad consequences from oh. it. They're like implicated in their battles. They have to go to war for them. Oh. It's messy oh. because of the fact that they did not ask the Lord for counsel. Did you bring up the Gibeonite deception or did your parents? I don't remember. Because which, uh, if you <laughs> knew what the Gibeonite deception was, I'm just like, you are a different, you're cutting a different cloth than I am. Um, I think, it, uh, I don't remember which way the conversation flowed. But I think at the end of the day, the Gibeonite deception was supposed to be an encouragement to me as well mm. because they made a covenant when they weren't supposed to, but it worked out in the end. Yes. I think the segue here is <laughs> the story that your guilt told you about the Gibeonite deception is not 
the right story. Yes, it was deceptive, you might say. Ooh, you, you might. You might say. <laughs> so if you have no idea what we're talking about, we're in Joshua chapter yeah. 9. <laughs> uh, we're in Joshua 9. We've just finished um, the Battle of Jericho, the two battles of Ai, one failed, mm-hmm. one succeeded based on Israel's obedience to the Lord. And now news of Israel's conquest of the land of Canaan and their mighty God is starting to spread like wildfire around this around this uh, country. Yep. And more and more people are getting afraid of this army because they are just winning huge battles. And yeah, AI was a massive city. Yes. It was probably the stronghold. It's described in chapter nine as the or chapter ten as this just like the royal destination oh uh, yeah and i know i know and yeah and i i don't yeah i know gibeon was also described that way later in that, chapter well, 10 um but yes oh that's right sorry yeah, yes 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 yeah. it's gibeon so not ai but yes it's yes. still a big city and the way they defeated them was just so massive that mm-hmm. the kings of all the different cities in canaan are starting to shake right. in their boots and which is what rahab foreshadowed when she said the hearts of the people melt within them that's right However, what's interesting about that phrase is the heart of Rahab melted within her, and it led her to repent. Mm -hmm. It led her to put her trust in Yahweh, while the kings of Jericho and the king of Ai, um, it hardened their heart to fight Israel. And so what we're having here is a replay of that same phenomenon. Mm -hmm. So it says in verse 9, verse 2, they gathered together as one to fight against Joshua and Israel. So their hearts are melting within them. They're concerned about the rising military threat of Israel, and they're taking that melting heart and like uh, hardening it, callousing it into aggression military aggression, aggression against right. them. And if you fast forward to chapter 10, uh, we get God's own, um, actually, I think it's chapter 11, but if you fast forward to chapter 11, verse 20, it says, the reason all this is happening, it's it's God's interpretive uh, comments oh, okay. on what's happening. Yep. Uh, For it was the Lord's doing to harden their hearts that they should come against Israel in battle Mm. in order that they should be devoted to destruction and receive no mercy but be destroyed just as the Lord commanded Mm. Moses. So that interpretive framework not only repeats the things we're seeing already, it's setting up categories between people who will bow the knee before Yahweh Mm -hmm. and people who fight Yahweh, but it's also giving us new categories of like, it, uh, Egypt, like just as God commanded Moses, there's a hardening of a heart happening. Mm-hmm. Things are happening. Yep. Things are happening. Absolutely. And so what's interesting about this story is as news of Israel's conquest spreads around Canaan, this story gives us two responses. Mm-hmm. The kings um, band together to fight against um, Israel, but one of the royal cities, one of the biggest cities there, there are, Gibeon, the mm-hmm. city of Gibeon, decides that they're not going to fight instead they are going to engage in a in a in like some misdirection and some deception and try to make a covenant with Israel through um trickery yep. basically and what's interesting yeah. about the co- so like yeah so they they're doing going to try to enter into a covenant through deception yep and what's interesting just the idea of the covenant normally a covenant was made when a between a weaker nation and a stronger nation. Mm. And so the, the fact that the royal city of Gibeon is coming to Israel asking to make a covenant with them and to protect them against others is assuming that Israel's the most powerful nation That's there. Right. It's like, 
it's a it's a it's an admission yep. that God is on their side and that he's the biggest he's the biggest dog. That's right. In the yeah. pound. They are they are taking the vassal side of the suzerain of, of the suzerain yeah. vassal yeah. treaty. Yeah. Um mm. that's right. And so uh they they decide to come and they I mean it's pretty brilliant. It is. They, dis- they yeah, it's brilliant because they knew apparently Israel's laws well enough to know that God had commanded Israel back in the book of Deuteronomy to make no treaties mm-hmm. with the people inside Canaan. But if they were far away uh, in like to the north or to the south of the kingdom, they could make treaties with those nations. That's right. Yep. They, I think that in their, uh, their own words were like, we know that God has given you this land. Yes. Yeah. And so they seem to know that yep. God has, has made a covenant with Israel right. for this land. Yeah. So they're like acknowledging the power of, uh, of, of God. Mm-hmm. They are acknowledging the plans of God mm-hmm. and they are submitting to them Yep. by, by like, by saying like, they're going to happen. They're going to They're happen. having faith in God. Yes. That what he said will come true, that his plans will prevail, that he is stronger than all of Canaan. And so they try to get out from God's harem by pretending they're from one of those far northern nations. Right. And so they bring, they pack a whole bunch of moldy bread into their sacks. They wear worn out clothes. They make their donkeys look tired. Like, I don't exactly know how they yep. sold the deception, but they send this this emissary mm-hmm. to Joshua who and they asked to make a covenant with him saying we're from far away please make a covenant with us we see what what's happening here so Joshua knows that they're from far away this is this is kosher yep. but he also like well how do we know you're really right you're really, and they point to all their false worn out sacks and sandals yes. and moldy bread and say if we were from just like the next town over wouldn't all our stuff be normal? They're like, look, look at this bread. It was hot when we took it out of the oven, and now it's yep. cold and crumbly and moldy. Yeah. Yep. It's so uh, the, the wine skins that we packed were brand new whenever right. we set on our journey, and now it's, look, they've all burst it's a pretty. It feels really easy to see through. Oh. You know, it's like, sure. Uh, but what we're told is in uh, verse 15 that, well, Joshua buys it. Joshua mm-hmm. makes peace with them and made a covenant with them to let them live and the leaders of uh, as the leaders of his congregation swore to them. But they didn't seek God's counsel, right. um, verse 14, but they did not ask counsel from the Lord. Right. So that's going to be really interesting to play out here because two things are happening. We are, we are seeing the faith of mm-hmm. the Gibeonites. Mm-hmm. But, Especially when yep. contrasted with the hardening of the exactly. hearts of everybody else. Mm-hmm. Nobody else is trying to make a covenant with 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 uh, Israel, only the Gibeonites. Yep. So we're seeing the faith of the Gibeonites, but we're seeing the faithlessness of Israel. Mm-hmm. And what we can't allow to happen is for the faithlessness of Israel to taint this whole story. Right, because normally the way we read it, because Israel didn't listen... Uh, God didn't want the Gibeonites. God didn't want the Gibeonites. And so if they would have asked God for counsel... He would have said, nope, kill him. Nope, kill him. But the text never says that. No. Which is fascinating. And we're going to see in the next story the opposite of this is true. Yes. And so... And this, I mean, this is, yeah. we should just like push into this a little bit because this is the way I read the Gibeonite story mm-hmm. growing up. I think it's the way most people read the Gibeonites. The Gibeonites were... Uh, liars. Liars. And they, and they were supposed to be conquested. Yes. Yeah. And Israel disobeyed by not destroying them. Israel right. diso- didn't listen to the voice of the Lord. Therefore, if they wouldn't have made this mistake, Israel's um, life would have been better in the land of Canaan. Maybe the book of Judges wouldn't happen. Like that's mm-hmm. kind of like the, the implication. But I don't think that's the way we're supposed to read the story for a few different reasons that we've already mentioned. One, I think they're showing a legitimate kind of faith. 
they're more like Rahab than they are like the hard-hearted kings making yes. a coalition against them. Absolutely. And I also think it's fascinating. Uh, and then later on in the narrative, they're included in the land allotments of Israel. They're actually given land in Israel as if they're Israelites. That's right. God includes them in the nation of Israel. But even before we got to the land allotment section, think about the way the nation of Israel was formed hmm. between Jacob and Esau. Yes, it was formed through deception. Formed through deception. Jacob, who was named later named Israel, mm-hmm. stole the birthright from Esau. How? By dressing himself up by somebody else and presenting food and yeah and lying and lying and lying. I'm Esau. And, he, and yeah. I said, I'm Esau. And he's like, Oh, I'm from far away. Like. The way the Gibeonites enter into covenant with Israel and with God is actually the same way that Jacob entered into covenant with, uh, became God's chosen people in the first place. So in that in that story, yeah, Israel is Israel. Israel yeah. is Jacob. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> say it more clearly. Mm-hmm. Or no, sorry, Israel's Isaac. Isra- My yes. bad. Israel's yeah. Isaac, Jacob's dad, and um, Isaac in that story. Uh, did, wanted to wrongfully bless Esau, his mm-hmm. firstborn, instead of Jacob, whom God told him to bless. Mm-hmm. And so that if we have that story in our head, we know that the deceiver, Jacob, is in the right because God wanted to bless him. Yes. But Isaac, the father, would have withheld the blessing had he not been tricked. Yes. And so what's interesting here is if we have that story in our head, we should actually assume that God wanted to bless the Gibeonites. Yes. And if he if if they hadn't been tricked, Israel would have disobeyed God mm-hmm. and murdered them. Right. They would have been there would have been another episode somewhere like Rahab where mm-hmm. they come and confess their fealty to Yahweh and their willingness to bow and submit to submit to the God of Israel. Yep. Which would be fascinating yep. to play out. And that's not the only story we have in the Old Testament where Deception, lying, and costumes are used to secure the messianic line. Hmm. Uh, the story of Tamar in Judah. Oh, right. Um, yes. Uh, where so Judah was supposed to provide Tamar with one of his sons, mm-hmm. so that the messianic line could continue through Tamar, right. who was rightfully owed. But Judah wouldn't do it. But Judah wouldn't do it over and over and over again. Right. So Tamar dresses up as a prostitute. Tamar dresses up like, so it's a crazy it's story. It's a crazy story. <laughs> Tamar dresses up as a prostitute. Lies to Judah. Lies to Judah. And lies but, with Judah. Lies with <laughs> Judah. And then she gets pregnant and with the the next generation. Of the messianic of line. Of the messianic line. And then when she confronts Judah with this, she, we're told that J- Judah says that she was in the right. Yeah, he says, you are more righteous than I am. Yes. Even though she was the deceiver. Yes. yes. And then in the book of Hebrews 11, she's mentioned among the people of faith. Yep. So there is a biblical narrative. Of faith through deception. Faith through deception. And I think that's what's happening here in Joshua. I completely agree. I, th- I completely agree. I think Gibeon is entering into the covenant with God, mm-hmm. securing themselves within the God's covenant community through deception. Yeah. Which is <laughs> crazy. It is. It is crazy. Um, so does that mean I can lie my way into the kingdom of God? No. Oh, well. But what's yes. all this been for then? <laughs> but yes. Okay. So it's interesting. So um, th- at the end of the day, uh, <laughs> you could f- you could frame the gospel like deception. Okay. I mean, think about what Satan thought he was doing to Jesus on the cross. Mm-hmm. Right. Jesus deceived Satan. By thinking that he was going to kill him, right. and instead, like brought about 
a blessing for the whole world. Mm. And so like Jesus yeah, yeah, yeah. tricked Satan. Yeah. Like Jesus tricked death. Jesus tricked and deceived the religious leaders mm. through death. Like he mm. never lied to them. Right. Right. He never actually deceived them, but he used the categories of death like the against that itself. Seems, like, I mean, death seems like a self-evident truth. Right. Right. It's like, no, what's more true than death? Yeah. If we and kill him, he will be gone. He will be gone. But Jesus uses truth as a means of deception yes and then rises out of the grave that, yes that's, that's exactly right yeah that's exactly right and in a sense like this i don't want anybody to think that this is like i'm just trying to like live in this imaginative universe yeah, yeah, for yeah. a second where it's like in a sense like we are like we come to god with jesus's provisions you know and we're right. like we're like this like we, we, well, we we're righteous like well, I mean, think about it, like we are dressed in the righteous robes of Christ we're right given Jesus's righteous robes yep and so why are we accepted in God's kingdom yeah not because we come with our own robes right but because we're dressed in the robes of another yeah so in the same way that these people come dressed in the robes of a faraway kingdom that's right we're dressed in a, in robes from a kingdom not our own yep. and we're accepted in God's covenant by the fact we're dressed up by God in his righteousness yes it's not deception no it's planned it's known but it's also this is not who we would have been no on our own we would have been harimmed we would have been harimmed. We would have been destroyed and instead we put on the clothes of the ultimate truthful deceiver the faithful <laughs> deceiver from a faraway kingdom put on our clothes and now we can approach the god of the covenant and be accepted and brought into into his family it's interesting it's super interesting so uh real quickly as we as we kind of uh tie some of that up uh this this uh this chapter, chapter nine and the beginning of 10, form a chiasm, which is a ancient Hebrew literary structure that repeats itself basically. Okay. And it forms an X. And at the center of the X uh, is the story of um, the Gibeonites' confession of faith. So what's on either side of the X? Like, so you have on the, on the far extremes, uh, the bookends uh, mm -hmm. of the chiasm uh, are the description of, of the kings, and it's even the oh, same language. Verse 9, chapter 9, verse 1 one through 2, and then chapter 10, yep. verses 1 As soon two. as all the kings who were beyond mm -hmm. the Jordan in the hill country, and then you hear about them, and then you hear it again, mm -hmm. as soon as Adonai Zekic, king of Jerusalem, heard. So it's like you have these kings, as soon as the kings heard, they did something, and then as soon as the king heard, they did something. It's a it's a bookend. Yeah, and and they, so that yeah. triggers you, if you were a Hebrew reader, to be like, oh, I just saw a repeat. Let me go back and see what if there's a pattern. And there is because uh, in the first part of nine, you hear about the worn out sacks and mm -hmm, all the ways mm -hmm. that the Gibeonites deceived. And then at the uh, toward the end of that chapter, they are repeating it again to Joshua as the just uh, mm. after Joshua realizes that right, they right. were from not from a faraway kingdom, but right next they're door. Like they're explaining the deception. They're explaining the deception. Okay. So and then the center of the story is their confession of faith and the covenant made with mm. them. And so it's just like, yeah, it's fun to talk about the the deception and the means, yeah. but the the heart of the story is confessing faith in Yahweh, mm -hmm. like and just and like trusting that God's will and power will be executed is like the heart of what we're supposed to take out of this. Yeah, is it's like, man, let let the fear of the Lord melt your heart and lead you to bow the knee mm -hmm. and come into His family by any means necessary. Yeah, yeah, it's not like. It, we talked about it a while ago. Like God does not take delight in hareming anyone. God does not take delight in the destruction of wickedness. Like 
which we would like take great relish when a murderer is finally given his due and sentenced to life in prison. Like, like that's the way I would feel, you know. Mm-hmm. But God does not take delight in that. He desires right. for people to come into His covenant. Yes. And if you are willing to bow the knee, yeah, he's with, with to the Gibeonites, you. you could see God in heaven watching the Gibeonites a few towns over, preparing their sacks and wearing out their sandals and putting on discolored jackets and like getting ready for this lie. Yeah. And you could just see God excited to welcome them in. Yes. Like, oh, I'm so glad they're doing this. You know, like yeah, you yeah, could just yeah. see him excited because he's like, I, I don't have to punish them because they're going to like repent and they're going to bow the knee. Yeah. It's just awesome. Like, it's really awesome. Yeah. There's a couple other details I want to point out okay, in the story. Great. So one in verse four, uh, it uses the word, they on their part acted with cunning and went yes. and made ready provisions and took worn out sacks. So that word cunning is super interesting mm-hmm. because it's used kind of, it's, it's an ambiguous word. Mm-hmm. It's used in Proverbs. It's a, it's a morally ambiguous word. It's a word. morally ambiguous word. It's like, it's used in Proverbs to like get wisdom and by all means get understanding, get yep. cunning, cunning and with all... All cunning, get understanding. That's right. But it's also used in uh, Exodus for premeditated murder. Uh-huh. Oh, so it's like it's like this idea of like you, they're plotting something. Uh-huh. So that word itself, like if you were a Hebrew reader, you would have been like, oh, that's a uh, interesting word. Yes. Is it, it is it also the same cunning use of the snake? It's not. Okay. I tried to. I looked that up. It's okay. not the same. Uh, gotcha. of use of the snake but i did also want to point out so one that's another clue to i think our reading of the gibeonite story is correct but also um oh i forgot i totally forgot what i was gonna say he spaced uh, oh oh, oh nope. i know so joshua had every right to cancel the covenant what? with gibeon Why? like when a suzerain vassal treaty is set up uh-huh. on the basis of deception like you don't have the you don't need to keep the covenant. You're like you actually would be expected as a leader within Canaan to have if you had a vassal come up to you and then you tur- turns out they're just deceiving you the whole time. You have the right mm. to abolish the covenant and say we're not going to make a deal with people who are liars. That would have been with jo- within Joshua's right. Interesting. But over and over again, the reason they say they cannot do that is because they have sworn by God. Yeah. And they say it multiple different times. He so, also says, like, we can't break this covenant unless we incur the wrath of the Lord. Yes. So I think it's fascinating that, like, Joshua, even though he's not technically under a legal obligation to these people under the culture oh, sure. of the Susan or Vassal treaties, yep. but their word to God mm. is more important than the people's deception. Oh, yes. So it's like the because fact it's a rep it because it's a repetition of because God's covenant is unbreakable. Yes. And so it's not it's not Joshua extending a covenant to them. He's extending to them God's covenant of inclusion. Yes. And God's covenant is unbreakable. Yes. And so the reason he can't break the covenant is because if he went back and haremed those mm-hmm. who have been brought back into the covenant, he himself would be haremed. Yes. That's exactly right. Interesting. And I also think it just highlights, too, the unique nature of what's happening in the book of Joshua. Like, mm. we keep saying it's not genocide, but, like, where the people, anybody who's willing to make a treaty can become part of God's people and be part of the fulfillment of the command to Abraham right. where all nations of the world are blessed. And that blessing the world 
is more important than the dishonor, shame, and deception of the Gibeonites. Yes, it is. It overshadows yeah. it. It overshadows it, yeah. which is the same thing within the uh, Isaac and Jacob narrative. That's right. Same thing within, and even like more explicitly in the Tamar and Judah narrative, mm-hmm. like the prostitution, how does that get overridden? Like yep. they're not married. Faith is more important. Like, yeah, there's yeah. Th- there's there's something more important yeah. than the deception, and it's God's covenant to his people. That's right. Uh, last thing mm-hmm. about this story is there are accounts like this in ancient Near East okay. literature that there are like, other stories um, of of like people who were about to uh, be conquered by an, an encroaching army, yeah, um, offering to bring those people in as slaves and save them from destruction as a way to show both the power and mercy of the king. Mm-hmm. And so like, this is like a, a cultural thing okay. that would be done. Um, but what's interesting is like one, Israel has to be deceived into doing it. <laughs> yeah, and yeah, so yeah, yeah. Joshua and Israel aren't seen as the gracious ones. Their God is. Yes. Because they are kind of sidestepped. Yes. And so Yahweh is the one who is seen as kind mm. and powerful. That's just right. interesting. That is super interesting. Uh, but what's what's even more interesting is how that narrative is about to be subverted in chapter 10. Okay. And I'll leave it there for this short little musical break. <laughs> <laughs> so you left us on a... Excellent cliffhanger. How long have ever have all of you been waiting? Um, About mere, eight seconds. <laughs> mere seconds. <laughs> How long is that music? Um, so you said this is the beginning or the end of the chiasm in the beginning where uh-huh. we had the coalition of the enemy armies coming against Israel. And in this particular case, they're not coming against Israel. They're coming against Gibeon. Yes. Because Gibeon is... Yeah. This great kingdom, the royal city within the territory of the Hivites, mm-hmm. and they're terrified of what this means for them. Right. So and it, it's interesting, their impetus for, for wanting to destroy Gibeah or Gibeon instead Gibeon, yeah. of Israel. Because yes. it's like, I wonder if they're ashamed. Because mm. it's like, they everyone's afraid of God and Israel, but... Gibeon acted the way they should have, the kings should have. And so, like, let's go punish them for that. Right. Like, they're a bunch of cowards. Let's go get them. Hmm. And so they go to attack Gibeon. Gibeon, they call out to Joshua, and they say, come to our aid and save us. Okay. That's a very important word. Okay. Uh, And it's it's also um, mentioned in chapter 9 as well. And I think it's the only time that Joshua's, the meaning of Joshua's name is used. Oh, because Joshua means the Lord, the Lord saves. The Lord saves. Yes, and so this is the only time, at least the commentary I read this morning uh, said that the, <laughs> the most recent commentary I looked <laughs> the most at. Recent commentary, <laughs> most recent commentary I looked at said this is the only time that Joshua's the meaning of Joshua's name is brought into action. Oh, and it's salvific. It's it's saving. He brings salvation to Gibe- to Gibeon because Gibeon was their vassal now. Right. Uh, they're servants, and they were coming and being attacked. This does not have parallels in the ancient Near Eastern literature like the, you know, saving the servants right. would. Because normally it's like the, ki- the, the stronger nation goes into battle and says, you guys over there, you promised me your men. Send me your men. That's right. You right. come fight for us. Mm-hmm. But instead, the king and the conqueror and the leader comes and fights on behalf of the slave. 
Hmm. And so we're, we're shown here in stark contrast between the other leaders and gods of the ancient Near East that God, Israel's God, is a God who doesn't just conquer, but he fights for his slaves. Hmm. Like, that is the gospel. <laughs> yes. It's so beautiful. Uh, anyway. And I love, like, even, like, all throughout the Psalms, you have this, like, repeated line, for your name's sake, O Lord, yes. come and save us. Uh-huh. And so it's like, Joshua, Joshua us. Like, like oh. your name is Yeshua? Well, Yeshua us right yes. now. Like, you, save we us. must Save us. We must be saved. Be true to your name mm-hmm. and do that. Yes. Wow. Yeah. And so, I mean, to draw so, a really straight line. Yeah. I mean, Jesus... Like we are the slaves of God. Like we, you know, we are less than that. We are the we're, ones who are going to be conquered. Yeah. Without even in Christ, we're called bond servants yes. to Christ because we've been saved by a great price. Right. But even before that, we are haremed. Haremed under yes. the harem. Yeah. Yeah. And Jesus undoes the harem, makes us his slaves, and he comes and fights for his slaves. He comes, and we have death, enemies, war coming and knocking at our doors. We have no way to save ourselves. And so we call out to a king who does not have to come. And yet he comes and puts his life on the line to save those who don't deserve it. And it's like, and like, it's just also just amazing too, narratively, just the way the story flows, how quickly physical salvation comes for those who put their trust in Israel's God. Like Gibeon would have been haremed, would have been destroyed. They were three yeah. towns over. They Their death was imminent. Yeah. And yet they come, they put their faith in God, and the next story we hear is they are being haremed by an enemy nation, and God comes and saves them. Their new king comes to their to, to victory. The next story. That's, it's yeah. just amazing to see how quickly God saves. Right. Like, yes. how fast he is to and be I compassionate. Could, and like even like... Uh, Yes. It's just like, I just think about like, amazing. I think about young Christians. I think about new Christians. You know, I think about people who just put their faith in God. And I'm just like, well, I'm just too, I, I don't know. I just made one confession of faith. You know, I just walked an aisle. I just was baptized. I just right. invited God in my heart. Whatever, you know, right. the, the background you were in whenever you made that, that step to become a Christian. And you're like, I don't know. I probably just don't deserve God's salvation yet. Or I haven't been in it long enough for him to really come to my aid. Or if I die tomorrow, I don't know. Have I proven myself? Or right. there's all these lies you probably talk to yourself like about. But like, look how quickly God saves those who were outside his people, who were his enemy, who were under his curse. They make a confession. They bow the knee. And the next story we hear, God comes in mighty salvation mm. and puts his own people on the line to yeah. save them. Like so how good. quickly are you made sons, you who were slaves? Yeah. I just think it's so cool. It's it's amazing. Anyway. And I, I keep thinking about the Gibeonites just as like you have like as like also my personal reaction to the idea of God. Like mm. I have to lie or hide oh, my yes, true yes, identity yes, yes, yes. in order to be him. I like I have to hide or like kill my ethnic identity right. in order to be accepted by him i have to pretend to be i have to be to pretend to be somebody i'm not yes and like even like like and even if you have been a christian for a long time to what extent does pretending mm. to be one thing rather than another actually mark your obedience to the lord when you're around other christians if so you're acting like the gibeonites deceiving their way into the covenant you don't have to. You don't have to. That's why the center of the chiasm isn't their deception. Right. The center of the chiasm is their confession. Yes. Yeah. Whoa. That's fun. Yeah. 
Call out to the Lord. Yep. If your heart is melting within you, call out to him and he will rescue, not based on who you are or what you pretend to be or your ethnic heritage or trying to look like somebody else or trying to look like the people around you yep. because he loves you. <laughs> okay, now I have to just go into that because yes. it's just an interesting imaginative yeah. universe there. It's just like, I just want to meditate on this because it's like, I think a lot of times with our good works, we tend to take a good work that was really like going next door and making it feel like we went around the world. What do you mean? So what I mean is, so like the the Gibeonites, you know, they were three towns oh. over, right? <laughs> yeah. But they acted like they traveled from around the world, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, I think we try to get the same mileage out of our good deeds. It's like, I gave money to charity. Yeah, and it's like, oh, let me just lash myself. And isn't right. that the greatest thing? That right. We make too much out of our good deeds. We try to get too much mileage out of our good works. Mm-hmm. And we try to use them as ways to deceive God into blessing, into blessing us, us or, or veil how bad we are or hide who we truly are. And it's like, man might buy that, like Israel and Joshua bought the Gibeonites' deception, but they didn't seek the counsel of God. God knew exactly what was happening and wanted to save them anyway. Hmm. Like, yeah. you can stop the pretense yeah. and just bow the knee. We know that God will have the land and that we know that he is the true king. That's all he wants to hear. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just That's so good. Anyway. Okay, we have to go forward. We, we keep going go, backwards. Yeah, we, we have to keep going forward. This the Gibeonite story is just too much fun to it reflect is really on. Fun. And I was even thinking about like, is this the only story where it says they did not sing the counsel of the Lord? No. It's not the only story. No, it's okay. Not. It's not. I was wondering. Um, and so... Uh, we're in the battle of Gibeon, uh, over Gibeon. Israel has come to their servant's aid Mm -hmm. as this coalition of five kingdoms comes against them. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is, um, I don't know, like the dream team or something of Canaan. Yeah. You know, like the five families families, (laughs) coming together for the office fans (laughs) out there, uh, coming together. And like, this is the Godfather fans. The Godfather fans. That's 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 the reference. That's That's true. I'm referencing a reference. Michael Scott. (laughs) That's what you just did. That's what I just did. That's a deep cut. That's We've lost deep. a lot of people just now. Getting back to the Bible, uh, yes, these five kings come and they band together and they come against Gibeon. Israel comes to Gibeon's aid and God has told Joshua that he's going to be with them. Not one of their men will fall. He will give them the city. The victory mm-hmm. is theirs. But the battle is so big and like, and like the amount of people that are there is just so massive that um, uh, another day is about to start. Like the, oh, the battle, I, the battle it, begins. It takes two days to win it, the battle. Yeah, and so so before we get there, okay, before we get yep. to the sun standing still, which I yes, know where, which is where, where, I'm, where, where I'm are running. you going? So it's uh, verse eight, and the Lord said to Joshua, Do, "Don't fear the coalition, because I've given them into your hands, and not a man of them shall stand before you." So Joshua came upon them suddenly, having marched up all night from Gilgal. And then the Lord threw them into a panic. All right. I was going to skip the hailstones. I know. So you can't skip the hailstones. And so like threw them into a panic before Israel, who struck them with a great blow at Gibeon and chased them away. So one, you have a a panic setting in, which is something that we were already promised back in Deuteronomy. With the hornets. With the hornets. The murder hornets. The murder hornets (laughs) coming in and chasing away, causing confusion in the camp. God is going before them in the fight. Before them in the fight. Yep. So it's like a a lot of the destruction, a lot of the victory isn't even by Joshua's sword. Oh, yeah, we're told that. Yeah. Yep. And then in verse 11, as they were fleeing God's panic, like atta- like panic attack. God comes in, sends a panic, they flee. And then as that happens, large hailstones fall on them so that more die from that than the sons of Israel killed with the sword. Yeah, we're told it's the Lord who throws those hailstones down. Yes. Yeah, and God's death count 
you know, you, you, speaking of two towers, this is okay. the second two towers reference in okay. in because uh, yeah, we're in Joshua. Yeah, because yeah. we're in Joshua. Uh, you know how Gimli and Legolas are like keeping count. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> it's like God's count was higher. <laughs> God's this count is was the higher. point here, and that's a really important detail to keep in mind. It actually is. Uh, just like the fact that God's victory and God's battle proficiency is highlighted more than Joshua's. We'll come back to that in a second. Mm-hmm. You should also just have in your mind. Oh, you have a panic and hailstones coming on hard-hearted kings on a hard-hearted king it should just it should remind you of the egypt narrative yes. and if we have like this already we have a new creation a new fall narrative a new going out narrative a, a new, new a new enslavement narrative a new deception a new deception you know at the end of genesis yes with, yep yeah uh, wait what deception isaac jacob oh, Esau. yes 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 yep. all these genesis playing. is getting repeated genesis through joshua and now we have like exodus getting repeated yes the same plagues that god used against egypt are now being used against god's enemies in canaan wowzers the same god is with them yes um and then at that at the, that time at the Joshua spoke to the Lord in the day when the Lord gave the Ammonites over to the sons of Israel. And he said, so this is Joshua's prayer. Joshua's prayer. So he, he's traveled all night yeah. to get to this battlefield. And he says, sun stands still at Gibeon and moon in the valley of Aijalon. And the sun stood still and the moon stopped until the nations took vengeance on their enemies. Crazy. It's crazy. So, so a couple things. One, what's happening? Is this like perpetual light or perpetual darkness? So one... They've been traveling all night. Yep. So, and the sun rises in the east. That's right. And the Gibeon <laughs> was in the uh, east. Okay. And the Valley of Ajalon was in the west. So, what that means is what he's praying for is for dusk or like the, that darkness yep. right before the dawn. Is that dusk? It's no, that's is that twilight. That's no, that's not twilight. That's dawn. Is that dawn? It's like it's still dark, it's but still it's like dark. The, the light's coming up. Like yeah. before the sun rises above the And before the moon falls. Before the moon falls, that moment, yep. he says we want to preserve that moment until right. we have victory in battle. Yeah, because uh like under the cloak of darkness, they're going to come and just own their enemies. And if yep. God is the one who's doing most of the, the like they're not even at the city yet. Right. Like God uh, is like already going before them, winning the victory under the cloak of dark. God, Joshua's like, hey, let's finish this tonight. And it's also, it's a surprise attack. So it's, verse yeah, nine, so attack. Joshua came upon them suddenly having marked up all night from Gilgal. So like he wants to preserve the element of surprise. So it makes sense. He's praying for more darkness, which should take you back to Egypt again, where the plague of darkness covers uh, Egypt for several days. Mm-hmm. And what's And the most important fact about this is not the complexities of the sun standing still or what does it mean for there to be darkness but it's verse 14 there has been no day like it before or since when the lord heeded the voice of the man because the lord fought for israel Hmm. why is that the most important part because one it's telling us it's crazy there's no no day (laughs) it's never happened again it's never happened before never happened since and the who's the hero of the story hmm when the Lord heeded the voice of a man because the Lord fought for Israel. Right. So what's the point of all these battle narratives? What's the point of the sun standing still? What's the point of the horns? What's the point of the hailstones? It's not the fact that Joshua was awesome. A really faithful prayer. And he was a great he was, prayer. Yep, but that's not the number one important thing it's to take away. It's the fact that God is the one who's Oof. winning the yeah, battles. who's winning, yep. Which is the subversion of other um, accounts like this yeah. by their neighbors, the other ancient Near Eastern accounts. Yeah. There's all sorts of battle accounts yes. where a a conquering king and even a, a failed king, like mm-hmm. there's ba- there's battle accounts where kings who have lost battles 
that write stories about that mm -hmm. battle and say, we absolutely annihilated the, Gibeon, <laughs> the Gibeonites. It was a slaughter. No, you guys lost that battle, actually, but it doesn't matter. Not in my book. Not in my book. The, his the history... The is, version I have. The history is written by the conquerors, and they can spin their story however they want. And the point is, those battle accounts were always in favor of the violence and brutality uh, and the power of earthly the, kings of the earthly king. Yep, it was always propaganda. Yes, the that's exactly king. right. And so now we have the same type of propaganda, mm -hmm. but not for the greatness of Joshua or Israel or Israel, but the greatness of God. Mm -hmm. Like yeah, that that's what's happening. Yeah, it's God's uh, propaganda. Yes, it's God's propaganda. God makes the sun stand still. Yeah. God rains hail from the heavens. God sends panic that can't be. Uh, undertaken, and the only mention of swords we get is to know that they didn't kill as many as God did. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's not about Joshua; it's about God. Um, yes, very true. Um, why, do you want to say anything more about that? Well, I mean, we we need to let's talk about Jesus. Okay, let's talk about the gospel. Um, how does this how does this help us see the gospel more clearly? Mm. Um, I don't know. Maybe we finish the story. Should we finish the story? Because the battle's not over yet. It's because true. the cowardly kings have run away from the battle. Oh, yeah, they are. that's fine. Um, Very true. Okay, so the cowardly kings, they run away from the battle. They let their people die in battle, uh -huh. right? So they, their kings are fleeing mm -hmm. while Israel's king is fighting. Yep. And I thought, remember, we asked, like, why is Joshua staying in the camp? Well, mm. like, we have these cowardly kings running away and right. not in the camp. So maybe it's just a sign of his bravery, his faithfulness. Mm -hmm. his back in AI. Back in AI, yeah. Yep. So anyway. Um, yep. So these, and then they go hide in a cave. Uh -huh. they're, and they're found hidden in a cave. And then Joshua rolls a large stone over the mouth of the cave and tells them to hold them there mm -hmm. until the battle's won. Battle, uh, uh, Joshua routes all the enemies and he comes to deal with the five kings. Yes. And he executes them. Mm -hmm. And he, he hangs them, and he hangs them on trees. Mm -hmm. um, and normally, other leaders would do this. So this is where we get to actual Joshua's actions. And yep. normally, they would hang them on trees outside of the city that they were defeated in, or the yep. outside the capital city of the Joshua's That's empire. Right. And they would stay there until they rotted. Yes. And the the purpose was, look at how powerful I am. That's right. These five kings who you thought were great, they're nothing to me. Yeah. It it's it's that classic head on a stick. Yes. That's yeah. exactly right. But what's fascinating. Um, is that Joshua takes them down that night? That night. Yep. So why are they there? Mm. Why would Joshua do that? Like, what purpose is right. hanging them on a tree even doing now if it's not for his glory and his fame? Mm. So it's why is it here? And I, I'm not sure if I have a great answer for that yet. Yeah. Why is Joshua hanging them up at all? Well, I mean, one, it was his means of execution. Yeah. Two, if this if this is mimicking how the kings of the earth do things mm -hmm. it is meant to highlight how God's leaders are to act, that they are to be more compassionate. Mm -hmm. And, um, and ultimately if, if the, if the purpose of leaving dead Kings on crosses for months on end to show the might of your King, if that was the purpose of it, mm -hmm. then by Joshua taking the Kings off their crosses, um, the, the point of that is to show that Joshua wasn't the one responsible for the victory. He has nothing to gloat about. Oh, he has nothing yeah. to be proud of because mm -hmm. it was God's victory. So why leave kings up to brag about something that you didn't accomplish? 
That's Joshua is rightfully not claiming the victory for himself. Hmm. He's marking the victory by hanging them on the cross, yep. um, but or the tree. Yep. And then yeah, we keep saying cross. Yeah, but tree. The tree. Um, and then, um, but at the same time, giving the credit to the Lord because by taking him down. Yeah. Yeah. And when he takes him down, what's funny? I think it's interesting. He puts he, him back in the put, cave. Puts him back in the cave, and then rolls the stone back over it. Yep. And I was like, I think it's like their cowardice is like their tomb. Yep. The place they hid ends up becoming the way in which they died. Yeah, it's an it's an irony. It's an irony, yep. which is like, which is a pretty clever way to seal the fate of the enemies of God. Like yep. you're... Well, it's, and it's also a completion of how the story began, that okay. their response to God is how they die. That mm. they, they heard about the power of the Lord, and in contrast to the repentant Gibeonites, they go and fight God. And it's their hard hearts and their and their fighting of God that leads uh, to, to what they feared, which was being conquered. <laughs> yeah, it's like had they done something different, they wouldn't have been conquered. Yeah, uh, and so yeah, I think it's like a, just a completion of that irony. That's yeah, I think you're right. And then here's why I wanted to wait because okay. in verse 25 it says so they before they kill the kings we kind of went going out of order here they bring the five um, defeated kings out and they tell all the I guess all the soldiers, or at least all the leaders of Israel's army, to come place their foot on the king's neck for oh, yeah. a moment of time. And it was a it was a symbol of humiliation for the other kings. But right. more importantly, it was do not this was what do not be afraid, verse twenty five, do not be dismayed, be strong and courageous, back to Joshua one, because the Lord will do to all your enemies against whom you fight. Mm. So it was this like uh, this like Ebenezer, this like standing stone, this monument, this yeah. moment that said, who won the battle? The Lord did. Mm. Be strong and courageous. Have faith in the Lord because this is what he will do. Yeah. Um, and I think, what are we supposed to get out of the sun standing still? I think, I mean, pray. Pray big prayers. Like, Yeah. Definitely, uh, but we're told that it won't happen again. So, like, <laughs> so it's like this prayer might not get answered. <laughs> but I think the point is: be strong and courageous. Trust and have faith in the Lord who fights our battles. Yeah, it's not about having the most audacious prayer in the room. Right. It's about knowing you have the biggest God in the room. Yes. That's that's what this is about. Is like the what's highlighted in this story is actually not Joshua's faith but God's hearing and God's power. Mm-hmm. It's Joshua's faith is, I don't want to overstep, but I'm pretty sure nowhere highlighted. Except in this verse, and Joshua said to them, do not be afraid or dismayed. Be strong and courageous for the Lord will fight. So that's a But it's step. for the Lord will fight. So be strong and courageous because the Lord will fight. Right. So even his own admission is... His faith is tied up in God's in power. In God's power. That's exactly So right. I think the thing that we should get out of the sun standing still is not necessarily that um, that a human being would bend a knee for a second and say a short prayer to ask night to go on forever, but that there's a God that if astronomically this actually occurred, you know, which is just yeah. mind boggling to think the about. The universe would have had to stand still. The entire universe would have had to pause. Gravity itself, as it works naturalistically, would have we would have spun off the planet had it yeah. stopped spinning. And yet they didn't. And so God would have had to reinforce gravity by his own hand. Right. God, like, it's, um, it's, imagine the ripple effects in the galaxy of, um, of, every of, of 24 hours would have of had to stand still. no would, movement. If that actually happened, it's crazy. Yes. And that's exactly the point. That's the point. The point is God, that's the God that fights for you. Yes. 
And we see that, I mean, that is a crazy miracle. Mm -hmm. But the crazier miracle is that that God could become human. Yep. And then that God could die. Like a king on a tree. Like a king on a tree. Be ro- have a stone rolled over his tomb and then roll the stone back. That's right. They were they were stuck in their in their cave of shame and <laughs> yeah. cowardice. But Jesus was not cowardly. He right? wasn't. He, he didn't got, hide in the cave. His tomb was one of bravery yeah. and strength. And so he rose out of it. Yeah. Yeah. Because he's the same God who makes the sun stand still. Right. <laughs> to conquer enemies. And like it's interesting, like now that and like now the sun, right? The S O N. Oh, like God's son. Yeah, reigns in the heavens forever. He he he. he the son of God's kingdom never sets. Now, like mm-hmm. we are forever in the eternal day mm-hmm. of the risen sun. <laughs> like yeah, to just kind of play with that. I was just I was just it made me thought think about how like. Uh, in Revelation, it says this: we won't need the sun anymore. Whenever the presence of Jesus is here, yeah. And so it's like, wow! It's like you have this moment where the sun stands still. It or doesn't give its light, it really. Like, why? Because the Lord is there. You, wow! You don't need yeah. the sun when the presence of God is there. Yeah, yeah. It's also it's also hard not to see in this story. Um, if I mean, there are just so many visible parallels to the gospel account. Mm-hmm. A king yeah. is hung on a tree. Yeah, he is there's then a buried. To- in there's a, a tomb with a stone over <laughs> yeah. it. But then, what happens before that, Seth Stewart, oh, is amazing. Is a foot is placed on a head. Oh, <laughs> of course. Genesis three fifteen. Joshua is repeating. He's like he's visibly showing the serpent's heads are being crushed. That's right. We had a promise in the wow. beginning at, after the fall which we've had a fall narrative mm-hmm. in Joshua and, and God promised that uh, his promised, the promised seed from Eve would crush the head of the serpent. Were you saving that this whole time? Oh yeah. Oh my gosh. That's so good. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, um, and, and how will he do it? How will he crush the head of the serpent by being the king who dies on a tree is taken down that very night, just like Jesus was yep. same language is put in a tomb with a stone rolled over it, but who gets back up. That's the end of the podcast right there. <laughs> <laughs> it's beautiful. Um, yeah. So chapter 10 ends yes. with a um, just a repetitive conquest narrative, which really leads us into 11 to 12. Yeah, so we'll address that. Yeah, next um, podcast. In the next podcast. Yeah. yeah, so 10, the end of 10 all the way through 12. This is a better place to stop. It is. Yeah, that Jesus is the God who makes the sun stand still, who made himself to be a king that died on a cross, was buried in a tomb to save deceptive servant slaves like us who had the power to get back up. And now his, the, the son of his kingdom never sets and he reigns forever. So no matter the darkness of night in which we fight, we know that there is light because Jesus is with us. Amazing. It's so beautiful. If you have questions about the book of Joshua, you should totally email those questions mm-hmm. to podcast singular at spokengospel.com podcast at spokengospel.com uh, and send a voice recording of your voice or type it out or type it out yep. and hopefully we'll do like a question and answer question response type thing yep. uh, depending on the questions we get so yes. please do that leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast that helps other people experience the gospel and all the unique ways that uh, 
the Bible presents it. And we'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to the Spoken Gospel Podcast. Spoken Gospel is a nonprofit that gives all its resources like this podcast away for free because of supporters like you. To help Spoken Gospel in our mission to speak the gospel out of every corner of Scripture and view all our free resources, visit SpokenGospel.com.